This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know that I know. What is poppin' everybody? And welcome back to another special episode of the Only Friends Podcast. But you know, I'm here with my only friends and my boy hunt is in the motherfucking building today what yes, is poppin hunt funny i i got the intro instead of tortuga this oh, time yeah uh, yeah that's right. right sometimes we're trying some things out Switching all right it up a and bit. not here to really fully piss somebody off so like i don't really care to do it that much okay it's only, it's only a half eat with that with the champ over here all right here. <laughs> we gotta get you some theme music I I, mm-hmm. I need to wear a bracelet so I can keep this champ rolling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> real champ. Yeah, this shit's changing so quick. You hear this, right? Yesterday mm-hmm. he was talking about like oh, I'm probably not going to play that much. Now he's talking about I need to win a bracelet. <laughs> I, I could I could do both of those things. No, you I could not play that much not and win a bracelet. It's not real life. <laughs> yes, it's hard, uh, but though. the thing is, there's still like two weeks left before WSOP for you to lose a bunch of hands and then be like, <laughs> oh, that's fucking tournaments. I don't care anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, losing hands in cash doesn't feel all that bad. It really doesn't. It's just like you're going to yeah. get another hand. And if you win it, you'll make money. If yeah. you lose hands in tournaments, they send you home. True. It's such a deflating. Honestly, I think it's an ego thing. Like, I don't want to be told when I have to stop gambling. <laughs> they send you to a long line. It's the yeah. summer, man. Yeah, I was going to say it's the summer. There's always something else to play. You bust, you can just jump into something else. I know yeah. that. You never have to go home. Nope. Right, Connor? Nope. Actually, you have to go home after 11.45. You don't have yeah. to go home, but you constantly... 11.45, yeah. you have to go exactly. home. Yep. Connor, I feel like you should have like a rule for yourself where you're not allowed to play events where first place is less than X. That's probably a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or more than four different tournaments in one day. Yeah, yeah. I'd well, be good does too. Does Connie you, play any tournaments already where first place is like less than 100K? Bro, I, I, what like, are you talking I about? He'll max like reg the Orleans daily if he doesn't have anything else okay, to play. I didn't know about this. What the hell are you doing? I, I, don't, I mean, you know. Why I would think, anyone ever play a daily? He played like 97 me. tournaments last year. Like 30, 30% 72. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes you just got to get out there. No, no, you don't. <laughs> well, actually, this year we're actually all saved. I want to let you guys know. I, from what I heard, the win is running a nightly eleven hundred every single fucking night. Wow! So we're all saved. Why is that? How is that saved? That that is not a good thing, huh? Why is that a good thing? Cause now I don't, have to, good I don't have to play it? a two hundred and thirty dollar daily. Now I can go play the eleven hundred. <laughs> <laughs> That is pretty good. Yeah, it's fucking fair, great. Fair I don't enough. know what you're talking about. I, do, I, I do, love these things. If I do recall, they were running like 1,100 dailies of sort last year. Yeah. And they were bi- they were single day events, right? Yeah, and they, they, run, they run a lot of single days outside of the... Like every time they have a day where they don't have like a bigger event going on, they just put a single day on. It's honestly pretty smart, man. Mm-hmm. Like it's, They were getting genius. like 120K to first yeah. for a single day 1K yeah. turbo. Yeah, it's I'm going to play those if I have days where I'm not doing anything else for uh, sure. For some reason, I feel like they're starting at like six or seven with these 1100s. Mm. These nighttime things. I have. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a nighttime thing. But so yeah, it's the it's the down bad. I busted everything else in town. I'm waiting until six eight six p.m. Do you know how sick you have else. to be to like? Yo, listen. You're not gonna fucking call me out. I'm sitting right here, bro. I'm just saying, like you know, <laughs> I I don't want to have. Look, if you're gonna play them, you need to win them because I don't want to have a 10 a.m. <laughs> podcast where you haven't slept yet. And you don't have any wins to to demonstrate That's from true. the day before. I, I get for Con- Conrad having just like got ninth place at nine a.m. 
and then going straight into a podcast, that'd be entertaining. I, as I, fuck. Agree. I agree. I agree. I'd be kind of miserable, but yeah. it'd be fun. Sure. <laughs> it's like it. when he showed up uh, in the Bahamas, like hungover. Oh, that was great. You thought you lost the keys to yeah. the car. Oh, oh it was great. Man. That part it's was funny. Weird. That shit was fucking great. Like, sorry guys, we're here without uh without Conrad, and then all of a sudden you just see him running from the, <laughs> the tournament area. This huge room and Conrad's yeah. on the far side of it. He's like sprinting <laughs> over to us. Him him thinking that like the car keys were lost forever, mm-hmm. not realizing that like he never like, had the have, keys. You never well, had I did. your keys. I, I passed them off. Sure. Passed him up at 10.30. 10.30. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like it was like 3 in the morning. It was 10.30 you didn't remember. Well, no, it was 10.30 at night. Yeah. Yeah, I was drunk. We were in the Bahamas. <laughs> what do you mean? I was drinking tequila. I don't do that shit. Yep. Yeah. I was done for. There was no memory of keys. When I checked my pockets and they weren't in there, I was like, oh, well, fuck. I guess I must have lost them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe stick to light beer. Ew. Ew. Oh. I drink Bud Light. Cool. There you go. <laughs> Are you making any bracelet bets? No, no. You offered me something. No, oh, I I offered you thirty five to one. Somebody, somebody's yesterday. definitely got to take it. Like I'm like a hundred to one. Hundred to one. Oh no, I'm trying to get some sucker out there. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe a hundred one's fair. It is. You see, one percent seems hard. It's, I don't know. I don't know, man. I uh, I hope no one offers me any bracelet bets, but. I'm in the market. Oh, here we go. Uh, here we go. In the market. <laughs> you're you're in like, the market. oh, please, nobody offer me any bracelet bets. Yeah. I definitely don't he want just, bracelet bets. He what? wants the motivation to play. He wants to play, but he doesn't want to play, so he needs the motivation. He's what? been looking for a bracelet bet mm-hmm. for fucking three yep. and a half years, okay? <laughs> it's crazy that I can't get one. I'm not good at tournament play. Um, but yeah, it really is the difference between, like, if I have a bracelet bet, then I have to play this stupid fucking $300 Giga flight, whatever. Mm, yeah, that honestly, it's called the gladiator. It's, it's called it, it. It's rightfully called the gladiator. You mm-hmm. have to be a fucking warrior to enter that thing. <laughs> yeah. I got, I got four bullets on the uh, schedule. Of course you do. Yeah, let's go. It's a great tournament, man. Yeah, I, I mean, I want nothing to do with it. I'll be nowhere 300 near. Three hundred bucks. Nowhere near. Get in there, fire away. Nowhere near the horseshoe. Build up a stack. Unless someone gives me a little bit of a bracelet mm-hmm. bet offer. You <laughs> Somewhere, know? Some part of you deep inside wants to just grind tournaments don't, this summer. That's why you're talking yeah. about bracelet bets. Right. No, don't I'm you, a masochist. I want, want the pain. I beat out uh, 75,372 people to win no. a bracelet. <laughs> and it only took you 17 bullets? No. <laughs> no. Yeah, I've, I've, I've uh. seen you fire like six bullets at a 5k or something how many bullets are you can fire at a 300 if you have to play it that's gonna be <laughs> it's, is it un, I don't maybe know only unlimited. one maybe only one it uh, might be unlimited last year three million last year the you. 500 down bad invitational mm-hmm. uh i only i only put two bullets into that when i cashed them both wow i got through on one too i think it was a beautiful well, i didn't get through but i cashed them both yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Fuck, you're right. I didn't get through either. You, you, I busted you know, like four a.m. Yeah. and two a.m. Yeah, you you have like the worst case scenario where like you play a long day one, you cash, then you bust at the end of day one, have to come back the next day, mm-hmm. cash again, bust again at three a.m. Like, Exhausting. Absolutely Just terrible. The, the three hundred you can re-enter twice, okay. and there's four flights, so for three, so twelve. Twelve bullets. Twelve is the bullets. Max. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Same as uh, same as the old Colossus. Yeah. Or when when Jai. Put in all twelve bullets. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> how do I don't even understand how someone can bust the tournament twelve times. That was that was one of the best scenes of uh, the results may vary vlog yeah. where they're interviewing Jordan and he goes, he goes. So you played it twelve times. He's like, yeah. He's like, 
And I busted. He goes, no, you went bust, 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 bust. It's like, right. That's good. That's amazing. For anybody who hasn't seen that, head over to to our playlist. There's the result may very vlog. Fantastic. One of the best things I think we ever did. I think we need to like promote that like the next week or so and you know tweet it out, get it out there because it is it is throwback. Yeah, and it, it was so good, and I, not enough people saw it. Yeah, Hunt Hunt made a deep run. He got second yeah, place that had, year. Yeah, we had a whole mm-hmm. episode that was like dedicated right. to my, my yeah. deep run. It was kind of fun. Right. Well, you were the only one who did anything going. that summer. <laughs> I did have the big beard mm-hmm. going. I, I, yeah, I don't you look like a that, badass. But... You... Times, times were so good back then that I had a big piece of Hunt whenever he was at that final mm-hmm. table. And the whole time I was texting with him and the crew saying like, all right, I'm going to come over and sweat. But I was in a 3-6-12 game in, in Ivy's room. Jesus. And I just couldn't leave. <laughs> but I was like strongly considering because I was like, I need to go over and show them support. But also like games really fucked me. I didn't know this. If you just said I'm in a really good game, I would have been like, it's fine. Just stay there. Like, yeah. I, I would have I understood. I managed to make it over there right as you were busting second. Yeah, I remember like I was texting you like I just got second and you were like in the car all the way. Yeah, over. I was like, there's no way I'm missing the winner's photo. <laughs> like I have to at least be there for that. Somehow, some way I'm getting in one of these fucking winner's photos. Yeah, we didn't uh, We didn't get the win, but Unlucky. we will this time. We will next time. That's right. Yo, Hun looked like a fucking character straight out of Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He looked he like really a man did. who was going to win a turbo tournament. Yeah, that, uh, that was the plan. But His didn't, beautiful didn't sunglasses. Didn't quite go to plan. <laughs> yep. But this, this time, this, this year, we're going we're gonna to do better. Do you have uh, other final tables at the WSP? Um, not live. I have two online. Okay. Uh, I have, in fact, I have three online. I have a second, a sixth, and a seventh online. Okay. I only have one live. Yeah, the onlines are adding a, a real addition. I, I realize like 30% of my... Final tables in WSOP are also online now, mm-hmm. which yeah. is crazy. Didn't you make one in like the Pennsylvania online? Yeah, I got third in the PA championship. Yeah, which I would have felt pretty dirty if that was my first bracelet. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, like that one. It was like an eighty man field. I, yeah, I was gonna like say a I got, half a bracelet. Honestly, <laughs> though, like fuck that. Like everybody who's counting their mixed game bracelets, why wouldn't that one count? <laughs> it's a single day eighty man uh, no limit event. Like, yeah, but you know, it's like. It's Pennsylvania poker, man. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, it's mixed games, man. There's only 60 people in the world who play them. What do you want from me? Yeah. 30 of them are decent at the game. What are we looking at? Oh, oh my God. God. There's a question. There are tough fields. It, how, what, odds would it, what, what odds would it take to get you to do a bracelet bet, but you're only allowed to play mixed games? Ooh. Oh, my God. Very high, because it would be extremely expensive for me. Mm-hmm. Like just knowing that I'm gonna lose a hundred k, almost certainly. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I would have to get like a couple hundred to one. Like, you're, lot, you're do, you feel, do you think you could play like the like the fifteen hundred single draw and be winning? Like or or do I don't you, know, man. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I I truly don't know much about. It. I I think the the big bet games, uh, depending on how tough the fields are, mm-hmm. I probably could have like. I think I know enough about tournaments and big bet structures mm-hmm. to like be break even. Yeah, because that was my instinct. I feel like anybody who kind of understands tournaments as a whole and who understands mm-hmm. the theory of no limit could probably play single draw and like the big bet mm-hmm. PLO games like PLO eight and stuff and probably not be like disastrously bad. Even triple Didn't draw. Johnny Bax win a win a, like a stud a, bracelet? Yeah, yeah, like it was like he never played the game or no. something like that. Right. Just just I, got in there, won it. I think it's a lie though. He's an old East Coast guy, man. Yeah, he probably yeah, almost yeah. certainly played stud at some point. Yeah, I would sure. I would actually bet that you are probably not, if not winning in the fifteen hundred mixed games. Like very close to. Yeah, maybe. I, 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 I would. Be, I'd be confident and bet on it. I would. I, the the problem is, is like even if 
even if theoretically like I had a win rate, I would mind fuck myself to not having a win rate. <laughs> like I think about something as simple as dealer's choice and knowing that like the game that you choose actually does matter. Yeah. Yeah. I would spend all of my energy <laughs> yeah. trying to figure out like what game I'm supposed to choose when I'm the button. And it would just be so meaningless at the end of the day. Yeah, that, that, that's a super interesting concept to me, but I, I don't even know like a third of the games to the point where I could play them yeah. enough to even play the 1500 dealer's I, choice. I yeah. wonder if, uh, if they'll add double board bomb pots to the dealer's choice this year. I would. That'd be great. That sounds I would awesome. doubt it just because if you're playing like eight-handed or whatever, it's probably really hard to have enough cards to do double board. Well, they do no. it every day in Texas. Every dealer change. Oh, no, you're, you're not thinking PLO. Sorry. Yeah, no, but even if you were, I think exactly eight-handed can do double board. Okay, yeah. exactly eight. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I, guess you can. I don't like double board PLO bomb pots, to uh -huh. be honest. May as well just play PLO eight. Have you ever played a PLO bracelet event? No. Wow. Really? No. Really? I actually I, haven't either. I've never like I've never really grinded a full schedule outside of a couple of years. Like once I really had found a lot of success both in high stakes cash and uh at the WSOP, mm -hmm. like twenty fifteen ish. Uh I was like, okay, I'm putting in a full schedule this summer because I wasn't really getting seats mm -hmm. in Ivy's room. So like, I'm playing a full schedule and I just it was the only summer I bricked. Yeah. I went like oh for forty eight. Wow. I was like, never again, <laughs> never again. What um, what do you think your ratio of cash to tournaments will be this summer? Uh, seventy thirty probably. Cash, cash, yeah. yeah. Unless like seats just vanish and I, I don't have really any access, but I think uh, I think people want to gamble with me now. Do you do you think <laughs> that the challenge has improved your chances of getting seats or made it worse? I think improved. Okay. Um, because like yeah, I, I mean. Look, I, I don't think anybody over the past 10 years has doubted whether or not, like, I take the game seriously. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that, you know, game runners just recognize that I offer some sort of value to the environment. I give a lot of action. It's like, if I'm going to play a bunch of hands and I'm going to put in a bunch of money after the flop. Like, that's kind of a good thing for, for most players. Yeah. They want to be able to kind of, like, sit back, play a little bit tighter and know that they can have a big score when they flop a set. And I'm the guy that will give them the big score. <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, it's a, it's a give and take. Type they, guys, they know you have money now as well. Yeah, that's true. For a little context, this is, uh, this is what we should be expecting from Connie this year. Dude, that's all right. Oh, no. <laughs> you, we love oh my God, here. look, look. What are, what are we looking at? Oh my there God. He comes. It's oh, like the Undertaker. It's like the Undertaker. Oh Call off the search. Call off the search. We Call off the search. Here I, he comes. I don't like this. This is unbelievable. He's got a shot with him. I think that's water, bro. I, I don't know. It looks pretty. Doesn't look like water. It looks like seawater, maybe. There what he is. is popping, everybody? And welcome back <laughs> to another special episode of the what? Only Friends Hold Podcast. Up. Hold well, up. You know, Let him come. I'm here with my. <laughs> Only let's go. friends. He let's sounds go. so down bad right he, now. <laughs> he, sounds, he sounds like a cry for hey, help. Hey, listen, he made it. He's here. What up, Conrad? What's poppin', baby? Yo, my fucking head hurts. I, I lost bet. the car. Mm -hmm. I lost the car keys last no, night, no, guys. No, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. No. You didn't. You never you had didn't. the car. You never had your car. <laughs> Look at his you face gave, right now. You gave <laughs> in your drunken stupor. You gave the keys to Henry, and he brought the car back home. What I am a fucking genius. You're so smart, dude. My, wait, when did I find Henry? Huh? Uh, like ten. This is like ten thirty, bro. In the chat, that you you gave your keys to him. Maybe he's the one. And that's then the at owner. four in the morning, you, you said, look like you look like you're trying out for an extra in Passion of the Christ. <laughs> <laughs> you don't look good, cuz. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, man. Landon wanted nothing to do with turning towards you and smelling the stench coming <laughs> yeah. off of your body. I probably fucking stunk like alcohol. <laughs> yeah, that's Straight what you stunk tequila. like. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I wanted to do the podcast on site. I, I thought it was a good idea, but uh, I don't think it would work the same way that it did at the Bahamas. Yeah, probably not. There's no way that like, we could have it out on the, on the floor and keep all the stuff protected and just doing it from a room there seems yeah. meaningless. Chauncey is absolutely going to destroy those headphones. He loves mm -hmm. it, man. He's, Nobody loves it more than Chauncey. He's going to ruin this podcast. Oh, he's biting nicer we, now. We love him. He's biting nicer. He used to just like rip into me. Now he's just like gently nibbling. Okay, well he ripped into me the other day, so hopefully next time <laughs> well, he Well, that's where it me. starts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got you to get him on your good side. Um... What the fuck were we talking about before we got on con contract? <laughs> SOP planning. We were talking about yeah. we're talking about planning for WSOP. We're talking about tournament strategy. All this, all this stuff. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, let's let's start from the beginning and you know maybe get a, a wily vet like Conrad to to chime in. Uh, first and foremost, when it comes to WSOP, obviously everybody has to put their schedule together. Mm -hmm. So why don't you clue us in, buddy? What is what does that process look like? Well, you got to clean your schedule for the 30 days before WSOP. Okay. That's what I recently learned uh -huh. last year. And you know, like you don't want to go to the fucking shit lodge and all these other places right before WSOP. Okay. You know, so you just, you just relax, you chill. And then when May 30 or May 29th comes, you go to the horseshoe mm -hmm. every day for 47 days, I think. Okay. And there you go. Whatever's on the schedule that day, you just play. Yeah, show up in rock, baby. Okay, so the thing, he doesn't have to put a schedule together when he's playing everything. The yeah. schedule is out there. Conrad's, it's, Conrad's when, schedule is yeah, everything. When when WSOP put out the uh, the actual schedule, that's his schedule, <laughs> <laughs> including like the hundred K high roller. Yeah, yeah right, right. <laughs> I heard there was I heard, guys. Couple. I heard they were running fucking satellites all yep. summer long. So here we go. Are so they doing miles? Ninety five events. Ninety five events. You're playing them all. <laughs> you know. I skipped some 10Ks, but yeah. other than that. Are they doing milestone stats, stats now instead of regular? Or I don't just, know. I don't think so. Okay. My God, if they are, I'll be the happiest person. I don't think so. They got rid of the single table satellites as well. Yeah, yeah. but like milestone is just, I played some in Bahamas so much better. It is yeah. insane how much better it is than regular satellites. Dude, it is so fucking cool to like be an hour and a half in and you are the only one walking away from the fucking table. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, 10,000, thank yeah. you. See you guys later. <laughs> it's really great. Like the, I, I, at this point, like I would never, I would never ever play a live, like a regular live satellite because they are the most boring way to spend time. It's just playing, playing correct is just playing insanely tight. But like the milestone satellites, I will happily play because they're much more like normal tournaments. I, I would. Play every single one of them. Yeah, I it, love seems it seems like there's a lot more available edge in the milestone for tournaments sure, as well. For sure, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the, the regular satellite strategy, it's not that there is no edge and nothing to consider, mm -hmm. but, you know, if you start with the premise that tight is right and mm -hmm. making absurd folds is a good thing, yeah. you're doing pretty okay. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's not that difficult for rec players to recognize that folding a lot is good, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, But the milestones are totally different because you've got this weird element where the value of chips goes exponentially up as you get closer and closer to the milestone and then every chip above the milestone is worth absolutely nothing right so you if you have like a a, a situation where you have a, a flip where like let's say the milestone is 200k you have 150k <clears throat> someone puts in 100k and you have like ace king and you're you're thinking about calling it off well normally it would be a call but you have to factor in the fact that only 50k of those chips 
you can actually win. You right. can't you're win. Risking 100 like to win you're getting 50. a different effective price. Right. And so I had a I had a hand in a milestone satellite where I got close to the milestone uh, in in uh, at PCA, and I like had ace king and the flop came like king high, and then I I bet flop and got called and I realized that winning that pot just as it was would take me over the milestone. Mm -hmm. And so it was like I, the board came out blank and I just like checked down yeah. because winning more chips had literally no value right. and losing chips would like, like there's like a downside, but there's no upside. Mm -hmm. right. So it's such an interesting thing in milestone sats. I really enjoy it. It's a, it's a good format. It's so much fun, man. It's just yeah. like, it's, there's this, you're not getting rewarded for not playing hands. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about it. Like you get rewarded. We don't want to, we don't want to reward nits. Yes. Like we should not reward nits. Easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I shouldn't have said that with you sitting right next to me. Somebody wrote, "Got you." That is. Oh my god, he tried to climb me. That is. Uh, that is your punishment for saying that he was going to be nicer. Oh man. He, oh my god, I'm bleeding. Somebody, for sure. somebody went on this long rant about um, how you should switch your game up if everybody thinks you're so tight. <laughs> About me? Yeah, oh, they posted it. was like, yeah, everybody thinks you're so tight, you should just play like super aggro. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like, nah, don't ever change, You know bro. what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to play correct. That's wow. Right. That's yeah. good. I'm going to play correct. You're going to play so much looser mm -hmm. now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is looser. Yeah. I, I, uh, when, I, when I posted my... Um, uh, my package. <laughs> Someone just said the min cash guy. I'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you've been casting. <laughs> you're, you're really gonna you're gonna develop a reputation. Of well, you know like what? I sold out in uh, 24 hours. So uh, yeah. So so Good you know. You, Congratulations. Yeah. Let's Thanks, go. Next. So, let's, let's, work. let's talk about that a little bit with regards to schedules, satellites selling, all that other stuff. Uh, for people that aren't Conrad, who apparently just you know. YOLO off a half a million. Um, what what does the process of building a package look like? How do you weigh in playing WSOP events versus non-WSOP events? Is it just an average buy-in type of consideration? Do you factor in that you might want to play some bigger events so you work in satellites? Like, How are you guys managing uh, developing these schedules, keeping the price point at, at, at a comfortable level, let's say, and then determining which venue you're you're choosing from a value side. I think that's a it's a really good question. I think that for me, it always starts with prioritizing. It always starts with just looking at what's available and saying there are there are certain things that are enough value that I really have to make sure that I can play these or that I have to build a schedule around these events, and then. There are always so many other things that are available that you can fill up the rest of the time as you need with whatever is available once you've established like these are the priority events these are the like this is the amount that i'm going to, the amount of my bankroll that i'm going to dedicate this is the action that i'm going to sell like if you if you have a clear idea of what the most important events are it's not that difficult to be flexible with the other stuff, but I think that's really easy though for people that are playing higher average buy-ins or mixed mm -hmm. games, right? Because you're just going to play the series. Yeah. So like for someone like me, I don't even look at what the Venetian or winner running mm -hmm. unless they're doing like, it needs to be like a, a seven figure guarantee plus. Yeah. It's kind of like, even like a million guarantee. I probably am. I'm yeah. not even going to be considering. It kind of goes just like bracelet for bracelet events first. And then mm -hmm. for you, maybe for most people, no, when you start the, that's why I'm. That's why I'm kind of posing the question. When you when you have an average buy-in of one k, right? Are you just building out your schedule WSOP first and foremost with priority? Same, yeah. 
That's I what I, I did. I, I, yeah, that's do. what I did. I, because yeah. I think a lot of people do. I don't necessarily think it's the highest EV way to do it. Yeah. But I think a lot of people do do it that way. I, and I think. I, it, I think a lot of it comes down to people not recognizing that there are events outside of WSOP that are better value than some of the WSOP events. I think uh, people like assume for, WSOP is best value. Uh, example. Uh, like the 1600 MSPTs at Venetian. Like okay. The ones mm -hmm. that get like 3,000, 3,500 runners, something like that. Mm -hmm. Like if there was one of those on the same day as like a, a, a 1500 six max bracelet event, I would pick Venetian. Because so personally, so if my, I, if my oh, ABI yeah. was 1K, mm -hmm. I would play very few WSOP events. Mm -hmm. You just play the 600 double stack. I would be, yeah, the, I would be playing Venetian and win almost every single day mm -hmm. uh, because I would want to play. I would want to increase the volume for the amount of money that if I was allocating 30,000 to the series mm -hmm. and I wanted to play an ABI of 1K, that's 30 events, right? Yeah. I'm going to be able to fill that entire schedule through the win in Venetian. Mm -hmm. And then But you can also do that through the that's what I did. I, I did that through WSOP. Right. Right? So like, like my app my average buy-in is probably somewhere around eight eight or nine. No, your more. average cost is around eight hundred dollars. Your average buy-in on your schedule is going to be significantly higher. Right? Because you're not playing that many events that are one K and under. Yeah, I am. I'm playing um, four bullets of a 300, uh, an 800, a 500, a 600, a 400, a 777, and a 600. I okay, what about everything else? I have a, a 1K. Uh, I have two bullets into the uh, monster stack, which is 1,500. Two bullets in the millionaire, which is 1,500. Uh, the mini main, which is 1,000. The closer, which is 1,500. And then the super turbo at the end of the year, which is 1,000. I, I think you're kind of just, um, kind of looking past at all the smaller events. Yeah, there are WSOP. like yeah, There's there a are lot a lot of, of smaller events yeah. at WSOP, which I think will be the softest, um, the softest fields. They will be they will probably be the biggest fields and the softest fields. So that that's why like when I was looking at it, I I thought that like the most of the value was at for my price point was at the WSOP <laughs> and it seems very, very simple, but I played everything that has a name. <laughs> no, cause it's no, serious. I, like, I right, agree, right, I right. Agree. So it's like the million dollar, uh, mystery bounty, the mm. gladiator, the monster stack, the millionaire maker, uh, the Colossus, the lucky sevens, yeah. right. Those are all like going to be, uh, you know, a, a huge fields, mm. huge prize pools, huge first, first places, and uh, relatively low buy-ins. But yeah. you're also playing recreationally, so you're playing like a dozen tournaments tops. I'm playing 13 tournaments, 26 bullets. Yeah, so yeah. The, the number of bullets don't matter really at all. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. That's, that's not necessarily true. It's, it's almost like playing, it's just another tournament. You uh, know what I mean? Sort of. I mean, I mean, you might not play those bullets because if you make it on the first bullet, then... Right, of right. course, but but the whole point is is that like you would play multiple bullets no matter no matter how you filled out your schedule. So if like my point is, is that you're playing recreationally, if somebody who's grinding the 47 days is going to, if you're talking bullets, is going to be playing you know 50 to 80. Right. If you're talking like Conrad did. Yeah. If you're talking entries or events, they should be targeting somewhere in the 30 plus range. Okay. Right. So. Uh, sure, you're able to add in marquee WSOP events, and I agree with that, but if you were trying to fill out your schedule, you would have 27 other events to, or, or sorry, 17 other events probably. Yeah, yeah, so you're right. So, like, I guess if 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 I was, if this schedule was going to be doubled or tripled, mm -hmm. there would be 
Venetians, there would be wins in there. Right. 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 But I think you start with this yeah. and then you expand out. I, I think also the thing that's that's noteworthy these days is that the Venetian and win events that are not the huge field MSPTs and the huge field like 3 million guarantees and stuff like that, they actually tend to be quite reg heavy because... Mm -hmm. Everybody WSO busted. <laughs> right. No, that's literally, that's literally it. It's like if a WSOP event happens on the same day, people yeah. will play the WSOP, they'll bust, they'll go over to win, and then they'll play the win. So like, I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that if you, if you were to look at the same buy-in level at WSOP versus the other venues, I think the other venues are slightly less soft. Yeah, and so I agree. When I'm considering WSOP versus the other venues, the only time I will pick the other venues ahead of WSOP is if the field size is big enough. You're saying compensate. dollar for dollar, right? Or are you saying that like a 600 at Venetian the same day that a 1500 at the WSOP runs? I'm talking about in terms of like ROI. So like, yeah, yeah. If if um, but what, right. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna choose a 600 over a 1500, but. If there's two 1500s, one at but Venetian you, and one at... But uh, I'm saying right, that like, people a, with a lower average buy-in should choose the 600 yeah. over oh, so 1500 you're, you're, a lot. So you're basically saying people at a lower average buy-in if, should... If I, were, if I were like a 2.5 reg that was shot taking MTTs or if I was uh, an ABI of like 500 to 1K, yeah. something like that, I would want to fill the bulk of my volume with events that were at or below that price point. Oh, so you, yeah, so you would just you would just play lower buy-ins. Yeah, yeah no, because I, I, I totally get what you mean. Now. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. funny yeah. enough, I'm actually looking at the win schedule right now. There, it's about uh, 1,100 average. Yeah, this, so this, it's not if not a little bit more. I, I think the win up the like, price point. Yeah, this, year. this is this is another thing that I was going to say that is that I think these days it's, I think you'd probably be surprised how much the average price point of all events in vegas has like risen in the last few years and it's not just inflation i think like places like the like planet hollywood used to have a series where they had mostly like 200 to 500 mm -hmm. buy-ins golden nugget used yeah. to have a lot more in that region i think a lot of the places that ran I those levels of buy-ins are not running as many events as they used to i think nugget is nugget still is yeah nugget still yeah. is but maybe not as big of a series though right like i don't know i, I want to say they, they put out a decent schedule oh, they did? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Decent i, I want to say they put out they a decent do, schedule. they have i think they have a one mil it, is it a one million one k they're main it might just be planet like hollywood that. that i'm thinking of then because the planet hollywood series doesn't exist anymore yeah. Yeah. Like right the, yeah. that's the first time i ever played with you was in a planet yeah hollywood. yeah i remember yeah. i didn't I remember. know i had no idea who that's you were yeah we didn't table just to give you a quick idea of their marquee events at the win. It's going to be like the 1100, 1.5 million, 1600, 2 million, um, 2200, 2 2.5 mystery bounty. And there are, let's Isn't see, there like a 3500, 3, 4 million, and a 1600, 2 million. And then there's the WPT, the, 10K. the WPT 10K with like a insane. The one drop. Yeah, the one yeah. drop. 10, 10, mi 10 million guarantee. I didn't mm -hmm. even realize that. Yeah. Nobody did. They've been Holy doing a very fuck. poor job of advertising. They have been doing a poor job. Oh my God, that's huge. It's going to be amazing. They yeah. have a couple of sick. Oh, they have milestone satellites for it too. Oh, there we go. <laughs> hey guys, we've had a few questions in chat um, asking about milestones. Can we briefly describe uh, what that is and how that works? The milestone satellite? Sure, yeah. Um, the, the milestone satellite is basically a satellite where instead of the top X percent of players making the money and getting a seat, you you win a seat automatically if you reach a certain number of chips. Usually so, 10X. It's yeah, usually it's, 10X. it's usually 10X or occasionally it'll be like 12X the, the starting stack. So it, um, it basically just means that you're incentivized to accumulate chips as opposed to just waiting everybody else out. 
So if so. you start with 10K starting stack, you get it up to, say it's a 10X, 100K, mm -hmm. you get a seat. Yeah, exactly. So you, you get 99, you go back down to zero, mm -hmm. you're fucked. It, yeah, <laughs> it, plays, it plays a lot more like a regular tournament, except there are other interesting... How does, yeah, the, what will happen how does the win is, handle it whenever you go over? the? Do they just put those chips back well, in play? Di different, pla different places have different rules. In so PCA, the, yeah. sorry, they spread it out the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so at, at, at PCA, the PokerStars way of doing it was to take whatever chips are surplus on top of the milestone. So if you if the milestone is 100 and you get to 150 because you win a big pot, they take that 50K and they split it between your table. Mm -hmm. um, at the win, they just take all your chips out of play. And the, the way that they compensate by, is to have it so that you can also win a seat by being one of the last X number of players. Right. Which is pretty cool. So I, I think that way is better. Yeah. And I spoke to the PokerStars floor in the Bahamas and said like, this is how they do it at the win. And he was like, oh, that is better. So I mm -hmm. think PokerStars might change it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the standard way of doing it is going to be you can either reach the milestone or be in the last X number of players. So that's yeah. how I thought they all were. I didn't realize because I, 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 I played Bahamas. one at the win. I actually yeah. I actually bubbled. I was the, uh, the oh, <laughs> remember, remember we were running the oh, Sims yeah, yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, I should have yeah. shoved that. But hand? yeah, the um, um, the Bahamas didn't do it that way. In the Bahamas, it right. was like you you have to make the milestone, mm -hmm. but. We do this thing where we take chips. Yeah, we we take we distribute chips to the table. Usually, it ends up being maybe like half half of them half the people reach the milestone, right. and then the other half of so they're giving away twenty seats or something. Half ten people will, will reach yeah. the milestone, and then the other ten will just they'll just get there by right. being the last ten left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wait. So whenever you're playing down, what if you reach the milestone while you're you're in the playdown process? Then you just you you get, get, a you get a seat. So, so you that, still let's get say, a seat. Let's say always, they keep taking the seats out. So it's right. like no, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Let's say I there's understand. twenty. There's, let's say there's twenty seats to be given. Yep. And um, you know, you 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 get to the point where there's uh, I don't know uh, two hundred entrants. There's fifty people left, and there's you know ten people who've already made the milestone. Mm -hmm. You just now you have ten seats available. You might get to the point where there's twenty people left and ten seats available. Um. And eventually, either someone's going to bust, someone's going to make the milestone, and a seat is going to disappear, and you're going to get down to like seven players left and four seats available. Yeah. Right, and yeah, it, right, one way or another, yeah. either the stacks are all going to be super short, and everybody's actually right. going to... I guess what know, I'm saying is it's never clear when you're just playing for the, the opt-in. Right. There's, there's, no, there's no it. point where you are just playing a normal satellite. Right. 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 You right. still have the trade-off mm -hmm. of like, I could be the last I, I, X number of players yeah. or I could right. be the milestone. Yeah. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's why it's good. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. I fucking love those milestones. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited to see the wind doing them. Yeah, for sure. I think the wind made a, a really good innovation there. I think it's one of those things. It's like the big blind ante. I think it should just become the standard now. There's yeah. no reason for regular satellites to exist because they're just objectively less fun for everybody mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. and uh i don't think they're they, also more they, resource intensive yeah exactly they take I, so much more time and resources yeah, i'm and pretty I, sure i don't think they they attract as many wrecks either i'm pretty sure the poker go studios are going to start doing these milestone side these i think steps. they already have been uh, mm -hmm. i not i don't think they've been running them in studio i think they're running them at aria okay because i remember like the last time the they had a poker open or whatever it was remember the stairway to heaven yeah. I thought that was the first introduction of the milestone. No, that wasn't that yeah. wasn't it. Stairway to Heaven was just basically regular tournaments where part of the prize pool was a buy-in to to the next, the next level one. Up, basically. Mm. So they would um, just take it out. And of that's what, kind of why it didn't really like take off that popular because right. it was like if you want to play the bigger buy-in, you could just win a lower tournament and buy into it. You know, like a mini, like a satellite crossed with a regular tournament. 
Yeah. yeah. I remember last time the um, poker I I did somebody up on Twitter asking them if there was a milestone. They said no, but they were looking to do it for the um summer. Mm. So, that's exciting. I yeah. like I like the milestones. I'm excited to see them become a real thing yeah, around sure. around I think, town. It, I think it's going to be really good for the game as a whole. The the more we can find ways to take traditional stuff that's not that fun and make it more fun, like it's better for everybody. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm still kind of hung up on this whole scheduling thing because I feel like it's a difficult task for uh, MTT players because the, the average buy-in may be consistent with what, you, with what it always has been or at least relatively close, but the amount of volume available is so much greater than it's ever been. When I, played my first, when I sold my first big package, uh, it was 27 events in 2013, and it was a... I think it was a 38k package mm -hmm. and that was for every WSOP event uh, under 5k plus the main so it was only 28k of events over you know call it 26 events something like that um, sorry I think that's what my backer owed I think I owed like 15k of that so it was like a 50k yeah. package whatever mm -hmm. uh, but that was like basically a full schedule you know I was only yeah. emitting high high quote unquote high stake stuff at the time yeah. where 10k was the, pretty much the cap of the buy-in uh, and I ultimately ended up playing all the 5k stuff anyway um, just because I was having success I look at it now and it's like if you, if you just put together an event of 1k buy-ins and below just that like around town and played you know high volume let's call it 50 events and made room for re-entry 2013 there was no re-entry right mm -hmm. so and, and you made room for re-entry you're probably looking at a 100k package oh yeah for sure yeah. yeah i think you could easily i was just saying this to to the, the backer that i'm working with right now a while back like if you wanted to dedicate 200k of buy-ins at like a a 3k abi this mm -hmm. summer you easily could easily there's so easily. much stuff out there you i could, played i think i played 14 events last year and i was Somewhere around 125k right. in buy-ins. Yeah. Like you could easily well, just 50 of that came in, t in one one. Tour, yeah, that's right? fair. <laughs> but yeah, like you, you, you could know. easily put right. in almost a quarter of a million, like even without playing the 25ks or anything like that, because there's a lot of stuff out there. Right. So it, it is certainly when it comes to prioritizing. I think one thing that one thing that people lose sight of, I think, is is how you actually sort of establish what your EV is in a tournament. And the, the reality is that in most 1K tournaments, your ROI is going to be pretty similar. But the thing that's going to make the biggest difference is going to be playing 1K tournaments where the field is big enough that the final table has a lot of fish or the final table is not like all pros because that's going to mean that at the business end of the tournament, you're going to be able to have a bigger edge. Right. So that's why in prioritizing, it's not so much a question of any one individual buy-in, like any one individual tournament at that buy-in level being that much softer than others. It's just the big fields are more likely to have wrecks at the funnel table. And when that happens, you are more likely to run into situations where you can achieve a higher ROI because you're not in these situations where everybody at the funnel tables make really good decisions. You know, So yeah. that's why I would prioritize field size during WSOP and, and look at it in terms of you know, there's going to be a lot of variance one way or the other. There's not really a lot that you can do to drastically alter that. Um, but if you have a choice of two events at the same buy-in level, 
for the most part, the one with the bigger field is going to be the one where your ROI is actually right. going to be higher. Yeah. But it's, it's not even going to be that big of a difference because it might be a question of you having a 25% versus a 20% ROI. And in a 1K buy-in, you know, that's the difference between making 250 bucks playing that tournament and making 200 bucks. Mm -hmm. So it's still, when you're talking about ROIs at 1K buy-ins, $500 buy-ins, you're talking small margins. Yeah. So in the end, for me at least, like I always just look at it as like, it doesn't matter that much what I play because if I'm playing the lower buy-ins, it's going to be 50 bucks here or there that I'm winning or losing by playing one tournament ahead of another. But if I'm playing higher stakes, if I'm getting to the point where I have to choose, like, am I going to play this 5K tournament or not? Am I going to play this 3K here? That's the, that's the stuff where, like, there's a big difference between, like, the softest 5Ks and the toughest 5Ks. And you really have to take into account when you're thinking about shot taking or thinking about playing something that's a little bit higher than your normal buy-ins, you definitely have to consider the, the specifics of the, the field size that's likely to happen, like what venue is it at, all that stuff before you consider actually shot taking. So yeah, that, that, that's where I think like, you know, the 1500 millimaker or uh, the monster stack are going to be significantly softer than right. like the mm -hmm. 1100 1.5 million guarantee at the win. Right. Yeah. That's why I would, that's why I chose to put those on the schedule sure. over the other ones for sure. Yeah. Yeah, there are there are obviously those instances where a, a slightly higher buy-in is going to be softer than an equivalent or than like a slightly a buy-in like that's like one rung lower on the ladder, let's say. But I I think it's I think it's relatively rare these days to find like a substantially higher buy-in that's significantly softer than a lower one. So like it's hard to find like a 3K that's softer than your average 1K. Mm. It's not impossible because there are some. And certainly like the 25K in Bahamas was softer than probably your average 2K a lot of, a lot of yeah. instances. But like outside of the exceptions, um, you know, it, for the most part, like there's a lot of pretty, there's a pretty reasonable amount of consistency by levels. I've so I guess the next thing to discuss once, once you've rallied all the troops, have all your funding and you have a bunch of events on the schedule, play how much emphasis do you guys put on scheduled day offs versus just uh taking no time off versus like taking time off whenever you just feel it's necessary i, I it's funny because for me every time i go into the wsop i don't want to take any time off i'm like i'm gonna play fucking every day i'm gonna play everything and i'm like that right now i'm like i just mm -hmm. want to get out there and, and then two weeks into day. it you're like i need right. a break <laughs> right exactly like the yeah the way i do it is i always tend to assume that opportunities to take time off are going to come up because yeah. you're gonna have times where like you play day 1a of a tournament you bag and you don't have anything to do on 1b right so like i i account for that a little bit but i also make sure during the series that i check in with myself and see like how am i actually feeling about this event that i'm going to play today like if i I'm going to go play something and it's not really like a must play event. It's not really like that important of an event. And I'm just, I'm feeling like I'm just like not really very up for it. I will just take a day off spontaneously because I mm -hmm. do, I think it's really, really hard to actually play your best when you are not very intrinsically motivated at that time to actually go play poker. Like if you'd rather be doing something else, probably not going to play very well. So I try to factor that in as much as I can. Yeah, for me, for me, it's like, I go in like I want to play like I, I love this shit like sure. I, I want to play every mm -hmm. day and like I don't feel like I want to plan to take days off because you mm -hmm. 
it might not be the right time or mm -hmm. something. Like you said, you might make day two and there's might be something that you can play on one B, but you yeah. just, you decide not to. Right. And because some, sometimes just, it goes the inverse way too, where you have a day where you've planned a day off, but you're like, I really want to play today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, you just kind of just show up and I mean, just see how you feel daily and just mm -hmm. understand, like, go by it that way. Yeah. I think that's really good. I think that's counter to how people used to approach it. I think like the idea of like planning days off mm -hmm. was uh, like, part of the advice where it's like, hey, it's a long grind. Make sure you take time to enjoy your summer and take a little time off. Uh, I very much am of the mindset, not just with the WSOP or anything else, but just life in general. Of life will provide you off days. Mm -hmm. You don't ever really need to plan for them unless you know it's with a purpose, like a vacation or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so I very much am behind the idea of just let the schedule naturally dictate when you have downtime. I also think there's something to be said about being a little bit resilient during this time. Sure, yeah. You're going to feel burnout. You're going to feel tired. You need to kind of like, if you want to have a go at this where you're doing it seriously, I think it's really important to have um, some sort of like preparation and fail safes in place for you to be able to handle those lower moments uh, and push through. Sure. Yeah. There's definitely, I think something to be said for if you regularly find yourself in a mentality where <clears throat> like you you run bad for like a week and then suddenly you just don't want to play after that. Like that's a deeper mental game issue, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think there's like a healthy balance of getting yourself into a mindset day after day of like, I'm not going to just let a couple of bad beats like put me on the mat for a week. But there's also like this thing of like, if you do start to feel like maybe you're just like physically fatigued because you're playing long hours or something like that, that, obviously takes its toll you know and, yeah, yeah and yeah. and there's like a there's a balance that you have to strike and the more experience you build up the more you start to understand where your personal thresholds are and what the methods are that are going to get you back to being motivated when you don't feel like it and also what are the methods that when i when i'm feeling like i just want to get out there and play but you know maybe i i've you know i have other things that are on my mind or something like that how am i going to like stay focused and all those sorts of things so you just kind of get used to it over time i think yeah i think what i was trying to kind of uh shine a light on is that oftentimes when people decide that they're burnout or uh you know just can't do it another day need some time to themselves whatever it's always very convenient mm. it's like a time where it's a day it's never a day two or day three yeah you know it's 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 never midway through day one when they have chips mm -hmm. that they just suddenly have this sinking feeling of like god i don't want to be here anymore all right. you, but this is all adrenaline rust time though is what you're saying not really day uh, two day three like, uh, you're feeling it's, it, it's more so that there's just more of an onus to what's going on because you have more hope okay right like you, you feel like you have more responsibility to the moment yeah because you are on a day two and you're close to the money or you're in the money or because mm -hmm. you do have chips in front of you that isn't a starting stack. Therefore, like you have to really lock in and not focus. The truth of the matter is those are probably the times where we disengage the most mm -hmm. where like if you truly are burned out, it's going to shine in those exact spots, not whenever you reg a 1K monster stack that yeah. you don't really want to be there for. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot to be said for making sure that you can be at your best at the times when it actually matters. Yeah. This, this is one of the reasons why I've always been a reasonably big proponent, especially during these like peak periods where you're playing a lot of, of late regging stuff, because not only does it give you a couple of extra hours to, to just sort of whatever else before you actually play, but 
you are sharper towards the end of the day when everybody else has been playing for longer hours. Mm -hmm. And over the course of 47 days or whatever it is, if you are playing 20% fewer hours than other people, but you're still having access to the same spots because you're, you're just late regging everything two hours later, they're playing 10 hour days and you're playing eight hour days. Like that over the course of 47 days matters a lot, especially in comparison to the extremely small downside of missing the first couple of hours of a day's play. Yeah, that was that was actually my next follow up is to discuss late ridge a little bit. So yeah. you're obviously a big proponent of it. To what degree do you think that there starts to become uh, a fall off where late regging is actually costing you potential? Um, I think win that, rate. I think that we are we're still at a point where we don't fully know a lot of the math of late reg because we do know that we do know that what's happening is you're you're buying a stack for. Uh, less than what its ICM value is, right? So as soon as one person busts the tournament, the ICM value of every stack in that event is slightly greater than what it is, than, than what the buy-in is. So theoretically, you're making money as soon as you late reg. But what we can't evaluate is how much do you lose by not being in the event for that first period of time and how many chips could you theoretically accumulate? What effect does it have? And the but isn't it also like a two-way street? Like, yes, you're theoretically making money in the sense that your chips mm -hmm. are worth more, but isn't it also um, kind of the uh, the theoretical opportunity to cash in on that money is a bit diluted because you just don't make it as far? Well, th this is the um, the the unknown variable. There is is uh, what's the difference in how far you make it on average mm -hmm. when you when you buy in with thirty bigs compared to with two hundred? You know? Right. So like. That's what we can't calculate because we don't have a big enough sample of data. But the, I think the thing that I have noticed over a lot of the online data work that I've seen and things like that um, is that late, late regging, particularly like max late regging with a short stack, it's not that it necessarily uh, decreases your ROI that much or anything like that. But what it does is it makes everything much more volatile. Mm -hmm. So you're in a position where you're fate in that event is tied to whether or not you win that first flip, you know? And so you're subject to a much higher standard deviation in your results when you late reg. When you are early regging, you are more likely to be able to accumulate more chips because you're, you're in the tournament when all the weakest players in the tournament are still there. You're playing deep stacked. You have a huge win rate in those early levels if you're playing well. And so even, like, even though you are in order to achieve that win rate, you have to expose yourself to some risk of busting early on. Like you mm. can't have a win rate with no chance of busting. Like you can't just like have both those things at once. The, the gray area that we don't have the ability to really solve yet is if you have X win rate in the early levels, what's actually better to play those levels, possibly bust, but have a, a certain expected stack when you get to let's say level six or something, or late reg at level six with a specific stack that is shallower, but you've, you know, there's no, you can't bust in the first five levels because you weren't even there. Right. right. It's like, really a matter of determining what your win rate is through that, those first six yeah, levels. That's hard right? to do, yeah, right? Especially right. in live events where yeah. you don't have a lot of data. Exactly. And, yeah. and the, the other part of it is like that aspect that I mentioned where you can't have 
a high win rate without being willing to take spots that require you to sometimes bust. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you, right. you can't just be like, I'm going to have a crushing win rate in the early levels, but I'm also going to refuse to get it all in without aces. Right. Like you it just, that doesn't work. Right. So it's what we don't know is the trade-off of, of being exposed to the risk of busting early versus the trade-off of not having the opportunity to accumulate a stack early. We don't know yet whether late reg is better than early reg, but mm. for the purposes of keeping yourself fresh, if we assume that late reg and early reg are relatively equal in value, then you gain the you, yeah, yeah you, you gain be, the advantage you being by fresh and you fresh. being mm -hmm. um, you playing better when you get later in the event, later in day one, closer to the bubble, etc. That certainly has a value to it. We know that playing better obviously has more value. So like the the way I've always looked at it is it doesn't really matter that much whether you late reg or early reg something, except for maybe an event that ha like has crazy deep stacks when you're early and is super soft. But um, even those tend to be faster structured and it almost yeah, doesn't exactly. Matter. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of a lot of the time with those events, like you might be playing 500 big blinds level one, but then by the time you get to level three, you're playing 100 big blinds again. You know, so right. like, it just doesn't even change that much. So. Right. In, in the end, I, the way I look at it is like, it really doesn't matter that much whether you late reg. Like it's, it's all just about what allows you to actually play your best. And if you are a good short stack player and you show up and late reg with 20 bigs, like you're still gonna be able to make money in that event because how you play once you actually make it deep is gonna have a much bigger impact than what happens in the early stages. Yeah. But if you are a cash game player and you're not that great at shallow stacks and you don't really know how to like really maneuver a 15 20 25 big blind stack really really well you should definitely not late reg because your biggest edge as a cash game player is going to be the opportunity to actually play deep stack poker early on and win hopefully win big pots so like there are some players who would be much better off not late regging but for the most part i think for the average player it honestly i don't think it actually matters that much you hear that burke you gotta show up right on time for every event no yep right on time 10 a.m burke uh, he, he knows how to play tournaments. He, he knows how to play 20 bigs he likes he likes to pretend no he but he's a cash game player let's get it let's get it let's get it not get it twisted i it's funny because like i have a pretty good idea how to play uh those in between stacks of like 10 to 40 bigs or whatever mm -hmm. but they make me so anxious <laughs> it's like really hard to to not like even just thinking about it now like okay we're in day three this really matters there's 25 people left i have 40 bigs that's average stack just starting to think about like the weight of every decision that you make pre and how much that matters where i'm used to playing an environment where like what you do pre-flop is so minuscule compared to like what you do on turn and river mm -hmm. that's like where all of the win rate is being exchanged really is yeah. when the pot is large yeah. and you know you've had this exchange of of bets and calls and raises and, and whatnot that's just not happening in mtt's yeah right so like right. the if you miss I'm a shove spot at, it's like it's yeah. huge right, right. right. You, know, yeah. you know what's funny is I, I i have the inverse uh i have the inverse feeling in terms of spots that generate anxiety for me like Same. if i'm if i'm play if i'm deep in a tournament like i have enough understanding of how tournaments work that I, I never feel like I lack confidence in what I'm supposed to do in a certain situation. But if I, let's say we're, I don't know, if I'm, we're playing poker out loud or if I'm in some kind of situation, even honestly in the early levels of tournaments sometimes, some situation where the pot gets wildly inflated unexpectedly mm -hmm. and the ranges are you know, starting to get tighter and maybe it's like a river bluff spot where my opponent is either going to like drastically overfold and I should always bluff or maybe like they're just drastically underfolding and I should never bluff. 
anxiety comes up for me in those spots because it's like this is such a rare situation that now i'm recognizing that i don't know this spot very well right so i wonder if maybe it's just mm -hmm. a question of when you when you get into those tournament spots because you are less experienced as as a tournament player compared to cash you start to feel like you don't trust yourself as much maybe i don't know yeah i definitely don't trust myself because mm -hmm. i'm hyper aware now that like the strategy is out there and a lot of people know it uh-huh Whereas 10 years ago, we were all just kind of feeling our way through. And it's yeah. like, you could, you could go post and get people to make errors. You could, you know, jam a little too wide and get people to fold a little too tight. Uh, there was just like a lot of That's still happening. Errors. Yeah, it's still but happening. Not, not but to like, the same. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I think, I, I think there are still a lot of good MTT players who make a lot of mistakes. Sure. I think that, sure. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to say like, any examples of people that I think that are not <laughs> as guy. good as they seem, but like, I think that there's a, a perception among tournament regs that we have, like, that we know what's good in tournaments in like the later stages. That I think a lot of a lot of people have some like false assumptions about. I think, and a lot of it has to do with just the efficacy of ICM as a model, and and some people having a bit too much faith in that model versus having too much faith in Chip EV. But I, I think that we are still at the point where what the right decision is in certain specific tournament spots late game uh, is still not really that well known. And I think there are, you, I think there are probably plenty of spots where you could ask two elite level players about a spot and they would still have different opinions yeah. tournaments wise mm -hmm. these days. Yeah. I think with cash games, that's virtually never true now because I think- It's we, all chip EV. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think we, we know now with cash games, like if you ask, two elite cash players about a certain spot, they're almost invariably going to say, it's this, this is the right play in this spot. And I think with tournaments, you get some spots at least that come up now where there is some, some uh, uncertainty or some like debate, I guess, about what's the best way for us to actually you kinda, decide. You kind of get like a clearer best. answer, right, when you're talking about a cash bot, just a, just a strictly yeah. chip EV spot. But right. then when you have to add in the ICM mm -hmm. and like how much does the ICM matter in this exact spot yeah. with this this part of the tournament, and then people are, are debating that. So yeah. you, if, you, if you don't have that correct, then you that's can't get that's the exactly correct it. it's like you uh, can, answer. You can run a sim through a solver. You can run a spot through a solver and you can do a chip EV version of it and then an ICM version of it. And you can get two objective results mm -hmm. you get two sim outputs that say based on this mathematical model this is the right answer for this spot but those two mathematical models are both flawed when it comes to their ability to actually encapsulate all the variables of a tournament icm mm -hmm. has a lot of flaws chip ev has a lot of flaws we don't have any other model that can do better than both of them so what you think is the best play in a given spot depends on what math model you're using to establish what the best play is. And eventually, hopefully, someone will come up with some kind of model that can take into account all of the different possible models that we could use. But there are academic papers being made, you know, various platforms and things like that about new ways to encapsulate or to, to define the value of a stack in a tournament. Mm -hmm. we, we, we're still researching, like, what's the best way to look at this? And All the sims are wrong. Yeah, precisely. All the right? sims are wrong. No, yeah. no matter what sims you're using, someone can have the ability to come along and say that's wrong. Because mm -hmm. not only are your opponents making a lot of mistakes, but there's no one singular mathematical model of tournament. ICM is probably the closest that we have. 
but it still has flaws. There's I think I think the other big issue that you run into is that the models themselves are predicated upon the models that your opposition are using, right? right? So mm -hmm. if it's not a uniform model being uh, applied by the field, yeah. then the models that we have are flawed enough that they begin to break down as well. Yeah, exactly. And you, you now you reach a point where it's like, how do you account for the possibility of like, okay, well, there's, I'm like 70% confident that my opponent is playing an ICM-based strategy but I'm 30% confident that they might still be playing chip EV. Right. Like, how do I build a strategy that's 70% ICM, 30% <laughs> chip EV? You know, right. you have to like ballpark yeah. it and adjust a little bit, um, but it's incredibly difficult to take into account all these things when building a strategy in real time in the, the later stages of a tournament. And this is, I think, why there are still, even when we, we have a really good understanding of what, you know, how certain stack sizes are supposed to play chip EV wise, like there are, a lot of variables in tournaments that still like we can't fully solve i, I find that really cool i, I enjoy that for sure mm -hmm. yeah I, I think from my vantage point it's like the better i get at cash game strategies and like you know i, I think for a long time i felt myself to be very confident on the outer edges and kind of like always working my way in to uh being more mechanically sound um and even now, the more that I study, the more I gravitate away from like having the full breadth of strategy just like programmed into my mind. Like I don't really have an interest in just diving into a hundred big blind fixed stacks and learning like everything there is to right. learn about that because that's just not the game. That's not the way it plays out, right? Um, but the more general strategy that I consume and uh, you know have a, a general overview of like, okay, these are where we're going to use hyper-aggressive strategies. These are going to be where we use defensive strategies and things of that nature. And this is how we'll navigate different flops based off of these formations. It becomes very easy for me to slow the game down and just run through that model when I'm thinking, mm -hmm. right? And just say like, okay, well, what makes logical sense here? At least I have a framework to build off of, right? Yeah. And I'll, I'll come close. What becomes challenging in MTTs is it just doesn't directly apply. Mm -hmm. So much of the game is built into pre-flop and the, 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 the strategies are so wildly different based off of the effective stacks that you're operating in in any given moment. Mm -hmm. And so I personally am just so flawed pre that I'm trying to figure out ways to manufacture getting to post yeah. in a meaningful way where we're not just at like sub one SPR. Mm -hmm. And it's tricky. It's like, I might have to bring the limp back, man. This might mm -hmm. be the summer. This might be the summer where I just don't limp open anymore. Well, I'll tell you though, ICM doesn't like limping. ICM. I don't give a fuck about ICM, ICM man. <laughs> He's rich you know now. ICM is for poor people. That's right, for poor people. <laughs> that, who, who was it who said that? Someone said that. Probably ICM, me. ICM is for poor people. <laughs> Probably me. I don't think you would have phrased uh, it that way. Honestly, I, I, I truly might just be the test case for how broken the ICM model is, and I might just be in there as passive as possible. Well, the, the funny thing is, um, there's, there's a great video that was put out by uh, GTO Wizard. Um, shout out to Tom Bossoff, my coach at GTA Wizard that I make videos for. Uh, he made a great video where they basically simulated MTTs using a custom code and they ran an ICM strategy versus a chip EV strategy. Mm -hmm. And they sort of established that it's completely accurate that a chip EV strategy does win more often than an ICM strategy. A chip EV strategy wins the tournament right. uh, at a much mm -hmm. higher rate, right. but it gets crushed in terms of ROI. Yeah, I watched mm -hmm. that video, it was right. really good. It's a really, mm -hmm. really good video. The, they ran this sim where like the perfect ICM strategy playing ICM from hand one was winning at like a 3% ROI. And then the chip EV strategy was losing at like a 12% ROI. 
So like the chip EV was getting absolutely crushed by the players playing ICM. And the only reason why the ICM like and the chip EV players performed pretty well in the earlier stages is simply because ICM and chip EV strategies look very similar in the early stages because the risk premiums are really low. Right. So in the end, you you get to this point where it's not really debatable at this stage that you win tournaments more often if you play chip EV, but you make more money if you play ICM. And that's mm-hmm. the that's like the debate where right. Do you like, want the bracelet or do you want the money? Yeah. And then there's, there's <laughs> well, I guess like practically speaking, yeah. all of that. That the entire debate to me is completely moot because we're not talking about playing uh, an eighty-person high roller, right? We're we're mostly playing open field events with people who don't really even have much of a glimmer of either, right? So from my perspective, it's just like the optimal strategy is Darren Elias. You know, it's just getting in there and <laughs> He's understanding. Always the optimal yeah. strategy. It's just understanding like where people are incapable of risking mm-hmm. and applying a ton of pressure when you're the aggressor. And making like ridiculous laydowns when you're the the defensive player. Yeah, yeah. and I think the um, the other interesting thing that this video uh, sort of highlighted is that ICM is a ICM is a very accurate predictor of finishing positions, even when the rest of the pool not playing ICM. So mm. even in an event that everybody is playing chip EV, mm-hmm. the predicted finishing positions or frequencies of each stack size finishing in what position were still pretty much accurately predicted by the ICM model. So even when the field doesn't have a clue about ICM, simply looking at somebody's stack size is a reasonable predictor of where they're actually going to finish. That's interesting to me because I, my immediate thoughts hearing that is not drawing the conclusion then that the ICM model has merit from a strategy standpoint, but more so from a predictive model standpoint, uh-huh. right? Because uh, the the factors that go into calculating ICM and coming up, it, it's basically just giving a dollar worth to your effective stack at the point that it's measured. Right, but it's doing that by establishing at what frequency you're supposed to finish in what position. Correct, yeah, I, I understand that. But my whole point is, is none of that really considers the strategic aspect. Oh yeah. And sure. if we're looking at both models and saying like, well, if the entire field plays chip EV or the entire field plays ICM, the predictive results are still going to be relatively the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that means that the ICM model is incredibly accurate or, or relatively accurate at determining uh, future outcomes. Yeah. But I'm not necessarily confident that because it's such a dependent model, mm-hmm. it's so dependent on the field. I would imagine, yeah. At, at and least it, 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 the fact that it can't account for skill edges, right? And it can't account for things like the impl- like it, it underestimates the value of having a big stack. Like mm-hmm. you, when you're a chip leader, you outperform ICM. So the the things that it can't account for are the essentially the the fact that the true value of each stack size or the true frequency that you finish in each position from a current stack size is going to be slightly different to what ICM thinks it is. Because yeah. let's say you're the chip leader and you have a big edge. ICM is going to assume that you finish first at the same probability of what your chip stack is. So if you have 30% of chips in play, ICM is going to assume you finish first 30% of the time. Now, if you, are, uh, if you have a really big edge and you're the chip leader, the frequency that you actually finish first is going to be higher. Sure. So the... It's, it's kind of a, an issue with the scalability of the model or the scalability of an edge where when your edge gets bigger, 
the frequency that you finish first goes up and up and up. And that has a proportionally bigger and bigger impact on the ICM value of your stack. So we don't yet have a model that can say, okay, well, if I account for the small frequency that I gain the chip lead and then I have this big edge and then I run good and blah, blah, blah. And we like extrapolate all the way through to the end of the tournament. Theoretically, my stack is worth more than what it's supposed to be worth. Mm -hmm. But we don't know exactly how much more, right? Like we don't know if it's worth an extra 1%. We don't know if it's worth an extra 10%. Like we really don't have a clue of exactly how much skill edges account for, um, particularly in a live environment where you can easily get to a final table where you have just an absolutely massive, massive skill edge. Like pe sure. people were talking about like when Stephen Chidwick went deep in the main and got like 48th or something, people were like, with 100 players left, it was like, how often does Chidwick win? Right? Yeah. And people were trying to do calculations for it and things like that. And, um, you know, the, I think the consensus ended up being that, like, if obviously if it's all random and he has an average stack, he win 1% of the time with 100 left. But if, if it's Chidwick, maybe he wins 1.5%. He, he doesn't win 5% of the right. time. But if it's not the main event, but it's a field where there's 100 players left, Stephen Chidwick's there, and like 70 of the other remaining players are Rex who have no idea about ICM. Like now, how often does Stephen Chidwick? Win? Yeah, you know, we have no idea. It might be five percent. It might be two percent. But either way, might be a half percent. Yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's That's, unlikely, but like you right, know, it could right. be something where he's giving up a lot by having yeah, being it, too considerate of ICM. It, it could be, yeah. But then you know, when you when you layer on top of that this idea of exploitative adaptations, right? Like our our opponents not just playing chip EV instead of playing, playing ICM, but playing bad chip EV. Yeah. Like now, yeah. how big is our edge? Right. Like how do we adapt for that when we're, you know, 30 players left or something? Like there's so many unknowns and it, I, I just find it really fascinating to explore these models and try to use them to build new and sometimes really unconventional strategies. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an end, endless labyrinth of... Uh, kind of navigating the the never-ending variables right like yeah. you, you just never really get the same it's wild to think but like truly you never really get the same subset twice that's why i love it yeah like you you literally the, the same spot doesn't come up twice and, yeah and because it, it'll always be <clears throat> excuse me it'll always be a uh a different slightly different context slightly different stack setups right slightly different you know post-flop considerations different phase of the event D different yeah, different payouts you know? and then you we, we still know so little about like post-flop ICM and stuff like that, like which from the calculations I've run, post-flop ICM is absolutely wild. Like completely changes the game tree in so many ways that are very unpredictable. Yeah. So when you start accounting for that and you like, this is why I made all the Sims are wrong. It's like, it's, it's the, the, the fundamental idea here is there is no Sim that can fully capture every variable in a tournament environment. So you just have to be able to brain solve as best you can. Right. And I, I just find that, I find that so Enjoyable as someone who's spent so much time with solvers and to, to play and put that skill set into practice, like that's a really fun challenge for me. All right, you got me back in. Yes, right, back in. Yes. Book your bracelet bets here. Uh, let me know who wants to lay me a good price. Let's do it. Opening number thirty-five to one. That's what I'm looking to get. This motherfucker offered me thirty-five to one. You're playing six times as many <laughs> events, Conrad. It's true. It gives you a better shot. I don't play mixed games. And. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe that doesn't. Who's the seven, baby? Maybe what are the, it doesn't give you a better shot. That Nick Airball plays at WSOP. Very, so. very low. Very low. He's not. He's not much of a tournament player. No, I think main event, maybe. Maybe main event. Maybe main event. He played the 10k win. I know, but he said he hated it. 
right. But he also like big timed and said like he had a hundred K side bet and that was the only reason why he cared. Yada yada yada. So I don't know, man. I don't know what motivates people, but I want a bracelet. Uh, I'll I'll take I'll take all bets. Um, and in order to prepare for this, we have a tournament academy in two weeks, we May twenty fourth mm. to the twenty seventh. You'll get to hear much more out of Matt as far as ICM considerations versus mm -hmm. Chippy V strategies. That'll be a four-day event. Each day will replicate a phase of the event, starting with the early stages on day one, finishing with final tables on day four. I think we have three seats remaining for that. So uh, if you're interested, hurry up, head over to academy.solfroy.io. Click the banner above. You'll get more information, and you can sign up there if you so choose. This has been fun. Yeah, this uh, this is stoking the fire a little bit we, in me. We got you hyped for WSOP. That was my goal coming in. Yes. My, go my goal was Good to get job, you Hunt. to get you to the point where you're excited to go play some tournaments. I mean, hype for me is is one pip above neutral. Well, you just won a million dollars. Like you got way more other things to be hyped about mm -hmm. right now. So that's again, fine, the hype for me is like one pip above <laughs> neutral. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know if he told you guys this. I uh, when at the end of the challenge, I texted him. I was like, congratulations. Like, how are you going to celebrate? And he was like. I have a cookie that I've been saving for. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. I was like, Let's you, go. you just won a million dollars and your celebration is to eat a cookie. Yeah. That's the level of discipline we're dealing right. with. Uh, <laughs> I, I, had, I had a leftover lava cake from a dinner I went on like two months ago and it had just been in the freezer with gelato. And I've been looking for a reason to eat, and I finally did. I have to tell you, it wasn't very good. It wasn't very good? Oh, yeah. wow. It's it was, never as good as you think it is. If, gonna I, be if in I have your a head, cookie yeah. in my house, it's not, not surviving a month. <laughs> no. Did, did Danielle suddenly yeah. you crumble? No, right. no. I appreciate yeah. her for that, actually. Uh, and then I immediately went to the gym for two and a half hours. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> I, max what pain. Else, what else would you do after mm -hmm. eating a cookie, right? You got to punish yourself. Yeah, it, was, it did feel like, <laughs> it felt like winning a tournament. Like, I had that high high for yeah. like two hours mm -hmm. and by 7 p.m everybody's like what are we gonna do celebrate i was just like ah, i'm gonna take a nap i mean <laughs> I, I don't know like you know i just did my job you're it's, probably like oh, i gotta go play bellagio tomorrow like yeah like life moves on unfortunately i i i will say i'm terrible with this like i think it's really important to celebrate wins both small and large and i'm one of the absolute worst at this mm -hmm. like i'm just not good at at giving a lot of acknowledgement for things that I feel like we're supposed to do. The problem is you don't like to do anything fun. It's hard to celebrate. <laughs> My idea of fun and your idea of fun are very different. Exactly. What, what, what is your idea yeah, of fun? I was going to say, at least Brian has yeah, an idea yeah, of fun. Exactly. <laughs> His idea of fun is just getting drunk and eating food. That's not, that's not an that's activity. What else is there? That's an idea of fun. That's how people celebrate. That's an idea of fun. Say you won the main event. What would you do? What would you? What would your actual celebration be? Can I answer? Can I answer? Sure. I think it's going to be bone broth and <laughs> squats. Why, why I think you're in trouble. Why on earth do you ever think that food would be my celebratory? No, it would be like it would be like uh, like a pickleball tournament or something like that. Uh, no, it wouldn't. Trouble. Definitely <laughs> do that anyway every what day. It, what would it be? What's I, your idea of fun? I mean, I would want to go like I would want to do something like active, like go actively somewhere. If it was, I mean, go if it's the main event, it's the something. summer, so it would be like. Yeah, I don't know, like get a house in Tahoe or something like that with a bunch of friends and go boating or... Go snowboarding or something. Yeah, if it's wintertime, a snowboarding yeah. trip, something along those lines would be fun. I wouldn't have made them. We're going to like Cambodia or something. Cambodia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get a house. I'll black out and we'll grill out. How did you just Let's pick go. Cambodia out of a hat? Did you just like spin a globe? And There's like, yeah. no <laughs> chance he could identify Cambodia on a map. Yes, he could. No um, shot. Oh my God. No, but I know it's close to Indonesia, I think. Again, like, again, I call bullshit that you know where Indonesia is. No, that's close to India. It's in the South Pacific. <laughs> South Pacific yeah. Uh, I think I could 
pick it out. If you sh if you put like a map, empty map in front of me, I think I can pick out most of them. Okay. If you know where Vietnam is, you'll be we'll, you'll be in good shape. We'll be we'll be doing this <laughs> we'll challenge. Do this. Tomorrow. <laughs> empty map challenge. And Lamanna will stop giving map you clues. Not Europe. I can't do Europe for the shit life of me. I don't think. Europe? It's the only one that you should be able to do. I, honestly, it's so I'm easy. I'm really bad at Europe. Europe is okay. Country. There you go, Conrad. Where's, where's Cambodia? <laughs> what was it that we were on Twitter? It was like, where's Georgie Skulakia from? Oh, that's right. Yeah. He's from yeah. Georgia. Is he yeah. really from Georgia? Yeah, he is. Yeah, that's right. He is yeah. from Georgia. Look at that. Not I guess. the Georgia they... in America. The Georgia no, in right, right. You know, the former Soviet Oh, I, I thought I, I meant the one with the city of Atlanta in it. Right, yeah. You thought he was from there. I will admit that. I thought I did not know Georgia was like Eastern Europe. Oh, really? No, I thought it was like much, much closer to Middle East. No, for I mean, it's reason. not like well, there's not that much geographical distance between. No, like, but right. like Balkans ethnically and, and, and culturally, it's oh, no, much closer Georgia to is, like. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's former Soviet Union. Yeah, 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 yeah like exactly. in my head, it was like close to Turkey and, uh, you know, Greece. much more of like. I think you're mixing it up with Albania and Armenia. Possibly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I know those places and oh. I know like the, but it, it just in my head for whatever reason, and maybe it is because where it's located on the map, mm -hmm. like in my head, the culture would have been Middle Eastern. Uh, no, uh, it would have been yeah. like an Arabic culture and it's certainly not. Yeah. Yeah. Georgie is, uh, he like to hear him speak, you, he made my, my WPT prime. He was at the final table with me. I played a bunch of hands with him. Um, of course he was, but he, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Final tables, everything, but he's like, he sounds like the archetypal, like Russian type man. Right. So I thought he was Russian to begin mm -hmm. with, but then he was like, no, I'm from Georgia. I knew. Sense. So I knew, obviously I, yeah, like I, I've seen him. So I know like he was from that kind of area. I heard him talk, but that, and I, I knew he wasn't Russian. Mm. I knew he wasn't Ukrainian. But he's in that area. I'm like, yeah. Georgia? Could be. Could be. I mean, he's absolutely yeah. right. He, he yeah. is from Georgia. Yeah. Name's Georgie. He's from Georgia. Listen, Georgie. Georgie from Georgia. You got to go through me this summer, buddy. Mm. It's over for you. Them's no, Jeremy Becker. They're going to they're gonna play heads up for rolls. Fight, Let's go. Fighting words. Connie, close out the show. <laughs> and on that note, we're the fuck out of here. We'll be back tomorrow. What time are we coming tomorrow? 12? Yep. Noon. All right. We'll get it popping at noon tomorrow. Hunt. Thanks for joining us as always. Happy Great man. talk. As always. And, you know, the rest of us will be back here tomorrow to get it popping. Peace. Later. Peace.